either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. And once again this week, we've got offerings in theaters and for home streaming. We'll check them all out. Glad you're here for the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start with one that's up for four Golden Globes this weekend. A man refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages. As he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his reality. It is the father. What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out. Saw it in his eyes. Didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat. Isn't it? Yeah, this is one I believe. Is this only in theaters this weekend? It is. Only in theaters. And it is an awards contender, as I said, for Golden Globes this weekend. I'm sure it's going to be an Oscar contender as well, led by these two magnificent performances, Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. You know, uh, Olivia Coleman is one who has never turned oh. in a bad performance ever. Now, Anthony Hopkins, he can be a little bit hit or miss, but this this is such a powerful... The whole cast is great, but these two together uh, and the way that the sort of sand shifts and the characters change, mm-hmm. but but these two, the two performers together are, are so... So brilliant. Here's the thing about Anthony Hopkins. I think the fact that he's not choosy. He works a lot. He does. And that means that he makes some, okay, some not-so-good movies. This is a film that reminds you how good he can be. Yeah. Because um, I think that's taken for granted because of the, the, the frequency with which he's out there. I mean, he's not Michael Caine, but he's out, <laughs> <laughs> he's out there. But he's magnificent in this movie, and so is she. She's and, so good. And yes, the whole ensemble, because it's a pretty small cast. This is based on a play, and it's actually the script is adapted by, and it's directed by, the uh, author of the play. Florian Zeller is his name. And it's really intimate in that it's the relationship between this father and this daughter, which right there, when you're taking a movie like this about dementia, we have seen some very good movies with a similar theme. I'm thinking of Away From Her and Amore. But those two are an example of the situation examined through the eyes of a spouse, Mm -hmm. right? This one, right away, you get a little bit different because you've got this adult child dealing with the parent. And then, you, you alluded to it, the way that... The, the point of view shifts and the, the sense of confusion is uh, delivered by the father, Anthony. His character's name is Anthony as well. Looking around his apartment, he, his flat, he calls it, he becomes convinced that he's, it's trying to be taken from him because his daughter, Anne, Olivia Coleman, is trying to, trying to get a, a home, an in-care, in-home caregiver to uh, help out. And one comes over, Imogene Poots plays her, and things are going well, and then things turn insulting and uh, and some accusations from Anthony about trying to steal his flat. And then, okay, is that really the caregiver? And is that really his daughter? And who's this other woman? What about this man who says he lives there? And, and is it really Anthony's flat? The confusion that you're feeling is on purpose, obviously, because it helps to feed the confusion, helps to you empathize with Anthony and the confusion that he's feeling. So it's another very different way to approach this because, um, as you said, usually the kind of the hero of the film is the spouse 
who is contending with this. Mm-hmm. But to actually put the make the point of view character, the character with dementia, right. is fascinating. It it's is. fascinating because it, it forces the audience to confront not what it's like to deal with a loved one who has this problem, but to be the person with this problem. It's very, I think, a very brave and interesting approach to take and and the way that it is directed is so it's so fluid and elegant and lovely yes very respectful um it's a beautiful movie and and it's a it's oh it's heartbreaking so heartbreaking it's heartbreaking but it's it's artful and it's nuanced you can you can easily see its origins as a play because it's a chamber piece it basically takes place in his flat pretty much all of it but yeah, the the ensemble, the acting, the acting alone. Even if you're one of the few, I, and I guess I, I could see how maybe if the de- the narrative device here you feel is gimmicky, I, I, we didn't. No. But even if you do, just the performances alone mm-hmm. are worth checking us out. The two lead performances and everybody around just just tremendous. But yes, it is heartbreaking, but it's also insightful and it does have something to say. And even better than that, it finds a fresh way to say it, a it fresh does. perspective. In saying it. So it's in theaters this weekend, and we highly recommend The Father. Next up is one in theaters and HBO Max, and we were going to lead with this, but we just couldn't bring ourselves to do it. It's an adaptation of the classic Hanna-Barbera property, which reveals how Tom and Jerry first meet and form their rivalry, Tom and Jerry. This hotel has been host to four presidents, three popes, two kings, and we're about to host the wedding of the century. Do you think you're qualified to take on this position? I shine under pressure, like a diamond. Or Rihanna. (laughs) One other thing. We have a mouse problem. With the what now? I'll catch it, sir. We could hire an exterminator. Or we can leverage millions of years of predatory evolution. Oh, boy, we did not like this movie uh, at all. And, it boy, it was maybe five, six minutes in, and uh, we, I think we both looked at each other. Now, sometimes we've gotten that feeling about a movie, and it turns around. This one did not. This one is, is just painful. Yeah. It was very hard for me not to leave, not to just get up and find something else to do. It's very... You know, and and I don't, this is the best job in the history of all jobs, and I I can't imagine complaining about having to just, I watch a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. That's not a tough thing to do. But there have been a handful of movies where I just thought, I do not want to sit through this movie, and this was one. Yeah, full disclosure, neither one of us are Tom and Jerry fans, okay? Uh, So put that up there right now. We much prefer Itchy and Scratchy. (laughs) (laughs) But that being said, I think even if you are a fan, one thing you will appreciate, and let's let's mention something positive, the animated part of this movie, the animation is hand-drawn. Nice. So kudos mm-hmm. for that. Yep. It's 2D, it's not CGI, and it is very nice. So the hand-drawn animation, that's about where it ends. Because the mixing that animation with the live action, it's, it just doesn't look natural at all. Not anywhere close to, say, Roger Rabbit right. from, from back in the day. And the story is just so silly. It it uh, centers around Tom and Jerry being in this hotel, this swanky hotel in New York, and then this employee, well, she's kind of a con woman. She wants to be an employee, whatever, played by Chloe Grace Moretz. She's trying to prove her worth by getting rid of the mouse problem. Uh, And that means getting Tom to help her get rid of Jerry. And so there's the hijinks, and you know what's going to happen to Tom at the hands of Jerry. Because, as you've pointed out, Jerry's just not a nice mouse. He's a dick! (laughs) 
You know, it's funny. Is that I think even when I was a little kid, I was I was put off by the fact that you're supposed to root for Jerry. Tom, you know, would leave him alone. And honestly, in his in his quieter moments, Tom wants to be Jerry's friend, and Jerry yeah. is just a dick. Yeah. So, and this it's not funny. Uh, it has a really, to me, the, the soundtrack really bothered me. It was just constant, bombastic, obnoxious pop-slash-hip-hop tunes. And I don't mean that Lizzo song from the trailer. I would have loved to hear more Lizzo. I don't think that's in the movie at all. And it seems like the movie was so desperate to say, hey, kids, we're hip. Yeah. Look, Tom and Jerry's hip now. So forced. It, it's so forced. Everything about this movie is so forced. The There's some sort of accent that uh, Michael, Pena. Michael Pena's having. Oh, what? What's happening there? I was very confused by that. All the facial expressions of Chloe Grace Moretz are way over the top. Everything everything about this is just desperate and, and a little bit sad and painful. Exactly. And uh, we, we really didn't care for it. <laughs> and that is Tom and Jerry. How about a drama? An army medic suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder becomes a serial bank robber after an addiction to drugs puts him in debt. It's Cherry. I'm 23 years old, and sometimes I wonder if life was wasted on me. I take all the beautiful things to heart till I about die from it. But there never seems to be enough time to You're it for me. Join the army. Why would you do that? Sometimes I feel like I've already seen everything that's gonna happen. <laughs> and it's a nightmare. I know I keep saying this, but I think it's because I just have such a soft spot for him. I think Ohio is trying to kill Tom Holland. Yeah, this is this is based on a novel, and it's it's a semi-autobiographical novel about a guy from Ohio, Cleveland who makes a snap decision to join the military, and then when he gets back, he ends up having to become a bank robber to fuel his drug habit. And the man, Cherry, is played by Tom Holland, who is, like you have mentioned before, and you're right, he's almost impossible not to root for. Yeah. And that's, I think, maybe a little bit part of the problem with this movie. He's I'm not sure this was the best casting. As much as I, I like Tom Holland, I do. I'm not sure he was the best choice for this role. But it's not that he's bad in it. But it he, he brings a... It's hard to bring maybe the edge. the Because uh, you mentioned to me earlier, has, has Tom Holland ever played a villain? No. And it's not that he, he does play a villain here, but you could almost see how it this role could have used a little bit of more of a villainous edge. But uh, it's not that it's a bad performance. It's not that it's a bad movie. It's just uneven. And I don't think it's as it doesn't land with the sort of resonance that they were hoping. And this is from the Russo brothers. Right. And they love Cleveland. Uh, it's <laughs> a lot of the movies set in Cleveland. I think they filmed there as mm-hmm. well. And it also has moments of dark comedy. Yes. Which I did appreciate. Yeah. The uh, you know the the names of the banks, for example, as they're written on the on the wall behind the tellers, I or uh, name tags and mm-hmm. what they have to say. Um, and every so often, what is happening versus and there is a, a voiceover narrative, which usually I really find lazy in a film, but I can see where it served a purpose in this film. But what I think the Russo brothers had a trouble had trouble with in this was landing. Like, is it a drama? Is it an action movie? Is it a thriller? Is it a dark comedy? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, what it definitely is, is overly long. I think that's their other biggest problem, is they seem to have a hard time 
zeroing in on exactly what they wanted to tell from this novel. And also, we just talked about the father finding a new way to say something. This really doesn't. Uh, In the end, you're sort of like, okay, it doesn't really give you anything fresh, although... The story that it tells is perfectly fine, perfectly well constructed, but it just it just kind of sits you there wondering, okay, what's what else? What's the point here? Well, see, this is where I, I'm curious about, I think, their, their indecision tonally, because it kind of is, he's a bank robber now. I'm like, what? You know, he's a bank robber now. That should be enough to make this movie stand apart, and, and it doesn't. Right. Like you're saying, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it tells me anything new. There were things I liked about it, definitely, but yeah, the tone just wasn't something I could really get a handle on. Yeah. And that is on Apple TV this week. That's where you can catch Cherry. Next is an intimate look at the singer-songwriter's journey navigating life on the road, on stage, and at home while creating her debut album. It's Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry. Are you guys okay? Hey, you guys need to be okay, because y'all are the reason I'm okay, okay? I just want us all to be in the moment for the song because I feel like in life we tend to do things and then we're always looking forward to the next thing whenever thinking about what's happening right now. And this is happening right now. We are never going to be in this moment ever again. So why don't we be in the moment, yeah? One more. There's two more shows. This is one. Well, the first thing that grabbed me when I sat down to watch this was you were talking about a movie being over long. I saw the running time was two hours and 20 minutes, and it's got an intermission. (laughs) So I thought, wow, could that be a little indulgent for a, a documentary about a teenage pop star? But you know what? The happy surprise is, the happy news is, it doesn't feel that way. Right. The director here, uh, R.J. Cutler, you don't feel like he wastes any of that time because this this is not a music documentary that ends up feeling like a project from the marketing department. It really feels like it, you get to know not only Billie Eilish, but her family. And I knew basically two songs from her. <laughs> right. I mean, I like that song, Bad Guy. I know oh, you yeah, do I too. do too. And then I knew that she's doing the latest uh, theme whenever it comes out for uh, No Time <laughs> to Die. But uh, so if you're a fan, obviously you're going to like it. And if, even if you're not a fan or even if you don't know that much about her, as I didn't, you learn a lot. I mean, you see her from the time that she was 13 years old. She had her first song on the radio after it became a viral hit. And it's great. They have that moment when the whole family, uh, her brother Phineas, who also helps her out, he's quite a musician himself, and their parents are listening to that song, the very first song she had um, when she was 13, first time on the radio. And you, they're just so happy. And the amount of... Home video footage and backstage footage is just tremendous. You have such access, and you don't really feel like they're pulling punches. I mean, she's very vulnerable. You see that. She's a real deep thinker, as insightful writers often are, and she's not afraid to show her her fears and her her dark places. But it also reminds you, if you've seen the new, uh, the latest Britney Spears documentary, Mm -hmm. that is very similar, obviously, a, a teenage pop star growing up in public and having to deal with those pressures, you see some some comparisons and uh, the, the chance to maybe make some, some contrasts about it as well. Because I really got the sense that here, 
her family is a real anchor for her, her brother especially. That's got to help. He's on the road with her. He's on stage with her. Right. A real calming influence, and her parents are there as well. So I think she's got a real strong foundation there moving forward. Because I think even now she's only 19 years old. You know, too, I think that a major difference, and something that really I think stands out, is that she's appreciated, I think, as a musician and a songwriter. She's not being, people aren't, she's not being pushed to be sexualized. She's mm-hmm. not, you know, whereas Britney Spears, that was 100% what it was. Mm-hmm. Any talent was secondary. It was just, look at how hot this girl is. And I think that, that's got to screw up a kid so bad. And I think that, and it's probably as you're saying, she's she's with her family. Her family is keeping that from happening. Yeah, and you, but you can also feel the pressures, not only of her fame that just went through the roof uh, after Bad Guy came out, but also the, the internet age and the social media age, which which wasn't the same when Britney Spears came out. No. The, the whole, oh, yeah. the, you know, the whole universe of the social media, you can see where there are moments when that really gets under her skin as well. So, and, and not only that, not only for her, but it becomes the story of a family and just a regular teenage girl that sort of can you can represent a bunch of teenage girls growing up in this scary and and confusing time. Yeah, and so it works on a lot of levels. I was really surprised how much I liked this, and it's on Apple TV and also some theaters uh, this weekend as well. And even if you're not a big fan, I, I would uh, if you like the musical documentaries and maybe getting to know this artist, I would I would recommend it. I think it's really well done. It's called Billie Eilish: The World's a Little Blurry. Next up is a movie that follows Billie Holiday during her career as she is targeted by the Federal Department of Narcotics with an undercover sting operation led by federal agent Jimmy Fletcher, with whom she had a tumultuous affair. This is the United States versus Billie Holiday. Which one of my songs is your favorite song? Strange Fruit. Yeah, it's a song about important things, you know, things that are going on in the country. This Holiday woman's causing a lot of people to think the wrong things. It's a starting gun for this so-called civil rights movement. Those lyrics provoke people. Y'all got a plan? She's a drug addict. Exactly. I cut strange fruit. I want to sing the damn song. It's for your own good, okay? You can't take it because she's strong, beautiful, and black. You think I'm going to stop singing that song? Your grandkids will be singing strange fruit. This is the latest from director Lee Daniels. It is based on a book called Chasing the Scream, and it's led by a fantastic lead performance, her first lead performance as Billie Holiday from Andra Day, who's mainly been a singer. She's had a couple of small parts and some shorts, and she's she's got the voice, but she's tremendous in, in the role as well. Yeah, she's in almost every scene, and she really carries the film. She's so, um, you know, world-weary, but... Not somebody you would mess with. I mean, she has this. In, she has an incredible presence in this movie. Yeah, she does, and it's. It reminded me in themes of Judas and the Black Messiah, which sure. just came out a couple of a couple of weeks ago, because it also has someone that the feds viewed as a threat because of her standing in the b- black community, who was targeted with a sting operation. Now, in this case, the FBI agent was not really undercover. The uh, the agent here, played by Travante Rose from Moonlight, so right. great, so great to see him. Mm-hmm. He was not undercover at all. Everybody knew who he was, uh, kind of working uh, both sides. That's an interesting part of the story as well. But in the end, you find out later in his life he regretted, much like the informant O'Neill from Judas and the Black Messiah, he regretted his part in this, in targeting Billie Holiday, who died when she was only forty four years old. Yeah. 
And a lot of it is based around, of course, the movie, uh, the, the song, I'm sorry, Strange Fruit. Right. And how she was barred from singing that. Just think about that. Yeah. It's not like it was full of obscenities. No. But the subject matter caused her to be banned from singing it. Uh, the fear that she was going to incite a riot or yeah. something. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, Lee Daniels has such an interesting way of doing films. They're very pulpy. They're always very pulpy. And I don't even mean that in a negative way. I no. think I think he pulls it off certain times really well. I mean, it makes for interesting films. But in this case, I don't think I don't think it always works. And I just sort of felt like the movie in, was kind of all over the place. That's how I felt about it, too. And there were some scenes, especially there some of the scenes with just the feds mm-hmm. that just aren't near. That I think one, you leaned over to me and said, boy, that was bad. Yeah. Uh, so it sort of goes up and down. But there are some very, very... Uh, effective moments yeah. uh, with her especially because as you mentioned uh, Andra Day is in almost every scene and she is fantastic. She sounds great. She so does. close to Billie Holiday and uh, she she really takes you inside the, the fight that she was having and the really tough life. She had a, a tough life. Yes. And um, getting into drugs and then trying to fight the forces that were keeping her down. So here's another case of if you don't know this story, if you don't know much about Billie Holiday beyond that song or some others, it's definitely worth it to uh, to get that part of the story. But yeah, uh, as far as a, a, a narrative and a story, especially maybe judging it to other Lee Daniels movies, it just seems to be, yeah, all over the place. Yeah. Um, I was certainly wasn't sorry I watched it. No, no. No, just, it just didn't come off as maybe as uh, as resonant as, as I was hoping. But boy, what an incredible performance and what a great reminder of the fantastic performer that uh, Billie Holiday was. And that one is out now on Hulu. That's, I think, the only place you can catch it this I believe. weekend. Uh, the United States versus Billie Holiday. Hey, we haven't talked about a horror movie yet, so let's change that. A man providing overnight watch to a deceased member of his former Orthodox Jewish community finds himself opposite a malevolent entity in the feature debut for writer-director Keith Thomas. It's The Vigil. Explain this how I feel, us. We have to leave now. This is Litvak. There is something very, very wrong here. We have to go now. It won't let you leave. Mrs. Litvak, what won't let me leave? The magic. It will make you see terrible things. There's so much about this movie that is familiar. Um, it reminded me right off of a, a movie that you and I both like very much, The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Yeah. Where, you know, you as a viewer, you're alone in a room with a person and a corpse. <laughs> and as a viewer, you keep waiting for that corpse to sit up. <laughs> you know, you just do. And uh, and the, the film really minds that. And um, in its weaker moments, it minds it too much. You're seeing images and, and sort of hallucinations and, you know, uh, shadows in the corner that look too much like stuff you've seen in 100 other movies. But for the majority of this movie, um, the, the film does a great job of, of using some very authentic folklore and imagery of uh, Hasidic Judaism, which is never present right. in horror films. Never present in horror films. I have watched, you and I have watched 
thousands of horror movies. I've never heard of a Mizuk before, which is the demon, which is actually commonplace, uh, but not in horror films. So it was all of that made it very, very interesting. And then the lead performance, Dave Davis, so good, so tender and vulnerable, because as is usually the case in films like this, the real demon, of course, is your own. You've got to face your own demons. Mm-hmm. That's the point. And for that to work, you have to have a character that you care about who clearly has troubles they need to overcome. And he just does a magnificent job. Well, this seems to be a little bit of a theme this week is a movie that finds a different way, a different perspective in telling a story that we've seen before. Sure, yeah. And this one certainly has one, and it's on VOD called The Vigil. Worth a look. Oh, hey, another horror movie. This is Friends Hiking the Appalachian Trail, being confronted by The Foundation, a community of people who have lived in the mountains for hundreds of years. This is an update on Wrong Turn. What is that? that they would be the foundation on which a new nation would be built. So here's how old I am. (laughs) Wrong Turn came out in 2003. I reviewed that. I wrote the review for that movie, and it's a backwards... For the paper? When we were working for the paper? Yep, yep, for the other paper. And it's a backwards, inbred, cannibal movie. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it took a lot of what was going on in horror at the time and just kind of took it to the next grossest yeah. level. And it, and it spun a little franchise out of it, and that's all fine. And then uh, they haven't made a wrong-turn film in quite a long time, and so here is the newest version. And the thing that they get rid of is probably, if you like the series, the thing you like best, which was the inbred cannibal hillbillies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they've replaced them with the foundation. They're making the the filmmakers making some interesting comments about um, separating yourself societally from another group of people, but it's just much blander. It's not nearly as scary. It's not nearly as gross. Uh, which is not to say that those things are necessarily the best way to make a movie. It's just that it doesn't replace those things yeah. with anything particularly thrilling. So in the end, what you have is meh. I mean, it's a perfectly serviceable meh. Well, when you say that they what they removed was the best part of the franchise, right. <laughs> if you don't replace it with something you know, equally effective, then uh, you've got a problem. Yes. And that is Wrong Turn, available on VOD this weekend. Got a thriller next after a violent home invasion leaves him in a coma and his wife deeply traumatized. A mild-mannered husband awakens to find that one of the attackers is still on the loose. This is rage. Your wife may very well be a best shot at finding the longer she doesn't talk, the longer he's out there. That's him. This case has been running me dry. Whatever she went through, she's still going through it. It's still fresh in her mind. Maybe if you were home, none of it would have happened. But I never made you stay. How are we going to go back to the way things were? I can't live like this, wondering if we're ever going to get caught. It's amazing how quickly your whole world can come crumbling down around you. What are we going to do? We've done terrible things. Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com and liked it very much. It is another one, though, that is uh, clocks in about two hours and 20 minutes. Probably feels that length. 
when they stay with the married couple and the trauma, Mm -hmm. it feels very authentic and honest and very disturbing. But then it turns into a police procedural for a lot of it, which is one of the reasons why it's too long. And they're not doing anything interesting with that part of it. Right. That's where they needed to cut some of the running time. But you can check out Brandon's full review at MadWolf.com for Rage, available on VOD this weekend. And one more, it's a documentary exploring what public education meant to South Bronx Latino maverick educator Pedro Santana and what he, in return, meant to public education. It's My Name is Pedro. I want to have an impact on, on people's lives. I really, really do. The passion for children, for teaching, for learning, he brings to every single conversation. You change the atmosphere, you change the mood. You change the environment, you change the spirit. Those kids believed in him. They respected him. You are criminals! Suing this district for breach of contract. Right or wrong, that's us against them. We are one community. In one year, everybody knew who he was. He was so important to us. The director is Lillian LaSalle, and this was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Rachel Willis, and I, I think she said it all in her title for the review, and it was, I'd vote for him. Right. <laughs> he's, an, he's an impressive guy. He is. And you know what? I mean, there's so few topics that are as tireless, right, as an inspiring teacher. You know, it's it's so lovely to watch a documentary where you can see the impact, just the, you know, the large, wide impact that an inspiring teacher can have. And this is one of those. Yeah, I mean, I grew up, my, my mom was a teacher as I was growing up, and it's one of those, it's a job that a lot of times is like a parent, is like there are so many ways you can do it wrong. Right. And when you get it right, somebody like this who's so committed so passionate about it and makes such an impact on his students' lives, mm-hmm. it's worth celebrating, as this movie does. So you can check out Rachel's full review at madwolf.com. Definitely recommending My Name is Pedro, available for VOD now. And hey, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. He's got dates, he's got news, he's got announcements. What are you going to lead with? Well, first off, uh, Universal has moved up the release of its Bob Odenkirk action movie, Nobody. Uh, it'll now come to theaters on March 26th with a VOD release to follow in mid-April. I think they kind of wanted to get it out of the way as Godzilla vs. Kong. Mm-hmm. And then MGM has sold their off-delayed hidden camera comedy, Bad Trip, to Netflix. That'll debut on the service on March 26th. We have a second Zack Schneider movie coming for Hope in May on the <laughs> 21st on, on Netflix, and that's the zombie action epic Army of the Dead. It's actually way more up my alley. Me too. <laughs> And Sony moved a couple other things. They have a Melanie Laurent World War II drama called The Nightingale. It was supposed to open in December of last year. They have now pushed it all the way back to December 2022. Not exactly sure why, but that's what they're doing with it. (laughs) And then moving on a little bit more, of course, Paramount Plus, we've already talked about. CBS All Access is transitioning to Paramount Plus on... March 4th, they're going to dump a bunch of the old Paramount movies on there, add some more CBS, Showtime, and Nickelodeon shows, and just really beef it up. But in addition to that, Paramount's cut a deal with MGM to 
eventually move the MGM Film Library onto Paramount Plus as time goes on. I think they're going to start with uh, around 2,500 titles and then go on from there as stuff expires on other services. So it's really going to house both studios' libraries. That's going to be a lot. But the big thing is, going forward, Paramount's adopting a slightly extended version of the Universal deal that we talked about previously, where Universal made the deal with theater chains where they could send stuff to VOD or streaming right, after right, 17 right. days of theatrical. Yeah. Well, Paramount is going to do that for 45 days instead. So basically what that means is all of the Paramount dates for the rest of this year should remain intact. Nothing should be moving anymore. And what's going to happen is 45 days after they premiere in theaters, they're going to show up on Paramount Plus as part of an exclusive streaming deal. Okay. So basically, the first one should be the Mark Wahlberg superhero movie, Infinite, making Cope happy. Again. <laughs> it is alarming um, how well you know me, Daniel. Right. That one set for theaters for May 28th, and if everything holds, it'll be hitting streaming on Paramount Plus on July 11th. Okay. And they specifically announced that this will hold true for Top Gun 2, the Paw Patrol movie, A Quiet Place Part 2, Mission Impossible 7, Ridley Scott's House of Gucci, and Creed 3. Those latter two haven't shot yet, but they're filming later this year. It sounds like it's going to be a permanent thing, whereas the HBO Max thing going on this year, you know, with them dual releasing on opening day and right. then taking it off the service later, Warner Brothers already said that they only plan on doing that for 2021. But given what Paramount and Universal are doing, I'm starting to wonder if they might change their minds on that. Oh, I Maybe bet. alter it a little bit. But I, would, yeah. I would put money on it. I think this is going to be, for better or worse, the paradigm going forward. Right, yep. right. A studio that just pairs with a streaming service, and then the ones that don't have a studio, Netflix, well, they've just become their own studio. They already have. I know everyone always complains about Netflix just shoving movies out nonstop and not really marketing a lot of them. But a, a big reason for why they've been doing that is because they, they've seen this coming. They knew that most of the other studios were going to launch their own services mm-hmm. and that they were going to have to have their own back catalog to live off of on down the road. And, you know, we, we've already talked about the fact that the only two studios, that, well, three, I guess, that really don't have their own services are MGM, Sony, and Lionsgate. And now MGM is paired with Paramount. It's probably only a matter of time before Sony or Lionsgate pair up with another one as well. Yeah. Sure. Turning into cable all over again. We're going to have to have about 12 different services to watch everything. <laughs> Good stuff, as always. You can always uh, catch up with Daniel at the Schlocketeer, and uh, we look forward to you next week. Look forward to hearing from you. Okay, boy, next week we've got a full week led by, I know a lot of people are waiting for this one, coming to America. Also Sophie Jones. Also something called Demeter. Moxie. Lucky. Raya and the Last Dragon. Okay, boss level. Chaos Walking. Keep an eye out. Dreamcatcher. Boogie. Pixie. Sun. Something other than now. We're just shouting words <laughs> at each other. <laughs> so We should have put all the one-word titles in a row. <laughs> I can name that, too. That's next week. So we're going to be busy. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about uh, anything this week. If you love Tom and Jerry, tell us why. <laughs> 
It's like that meme with that guy sitting there in the sign. Change my mind. <laughs> Tom and Jerry was awful. Change our minds at uh, Mad Wolf on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And as always, all our written reviews, everybody's written reviews on Team Mad Wolf and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club, all available at madwolf.com. So we hope to hear from you. Until next week, a busy week, when we'll just shout titles at you. She is Hope Mad. <laughs> He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>